have a Bible nearby, uh, we're going to turn the lights up so you can see it. Uh, let's turn together to the book of Acts, the first chapter. Uh, yes, I do have a cold, um, and the only perk is that it makes my voice sound somewhat masculine, so uh, I'll take it. Um, the book of Acts, chapter 1. Hope that you had a good beginning uh, to 2015, or at least uh, the beginnings of writing 2014 and then scratching it out, writing 15. Uh, Hopefully we'll have that all ironed out pretty soon, but um, hope that your New Year's was good and that, uh, you know, you're probably about to get back into some sort of routine, which... um, I don't know about you, but I'm not typically a person who likes routine, or I don't think I do, until it's gone for a while, and then I'm just craving to get back to some sort of normalcy, and so uh, I'm sure for most of us that'll begin this week, and then as school gets going again and all that kind of stuff. um, The beginning of the calendar year, uh, obviously a lot of people uh, make resolutions, and there's just a lot of uh, kind of a clean slate vibe that's going on, and uh, churches are no are no different. Uh, we kind of uh, have similar ways of beginning the the church year. A lot of a lot of churches spend the month of January talking about uh, financial stewardship and giving. Uh, we will not do that um, unless you want to. We can. Uh, we probably need to. But uh, that's not the way that we that we tend to start a year. Um, we uh, kind of do it a little bit differently every time, but um, there's a 30-day period where we devote ourselves to prayer each year, and we've done it uh, for since like the 99-2000 uh, winter break at LSU. Uh, we've given uh, just given that time to to pray to the Lord and to seek Him uh, about different things at different stages along the way. Uh, this year is going to be very different. From where we've been the last few years, it'll be a little more like uh, the first few ones when we were a college ministry, and um, I'm going to talk more about that next Sunday because it's going to begin on the 14th, and so um, you can look forward to that. And it, like I said, it'll be different than we've done the last couple of years, but I, th- I really think it's very timely for us where we are. Um, so that month of prayer will be from the 14th of January to the 12th of. February, which is our birthday, be our ninth birthday as a church, and um, so that's the way that we've done it the last few years, is praying us into our new year uh, as a church. Um, the teaching series is going to kind of intertwine with that a little bit as far as Sunday nights. We're going to go for several weeks in the book of Acts, um, and then our community groups, which will not start for another couple weeks. It's in the bulletin if you want to know exactly when that is. Uh, all the dates of everything coming up soon are in there. Um, our groups will also kind of intertwine into this. And so we really we try to take advantage of the beginning of a year as a church and really kind of hit the reset button a little bit. And um, so we're going to do that as well on Sundays, as I said. We're going we're gonna to look um, at the narrative of the the very beginnings of the church that we see in the book of Acts. And, and kind of go back to our roots a little bit 
and I have been um, really praying toward this time of the year, you know, because Advent is, is Advent, you know, and Lent and Easter and stuff, that's kind of there. And so there's this period of time in between where, um, where we can kind of fluctuate and really just trying to listen into what the Lord wants us to hear and to talk about. Um, and I just kind of kept coming back to this. And in, in praying and in trying to discern, you know, what, why might that be, um, I think that there's something that we really need to lean in and pay attention to in regard to the, the early, early church. And when I say the early church, uh, the, the church as we know it, the Christian church, was not born um, at the beginnings of the Bible. The church was really born after Jesus' ascension and uh, the Holy Spirit uh, coming at the, on the day of Pentecost, which we'll get to uh, in a few weeks, probably. Um, well, we will, but I'm not sure when exactly. But um, that's, when the, that's when the church as we know it was, was first born. And the book of Acts is a, is a narrative, just description of what that was like. Um, and there were some really special, like just very unique things that happened during this time. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that went on then that should be going on now. Uh, and so it's, we, we can't really just say like, oh, that was a long time ago and that was for them. Uh, some of it was just for them, yeah, but there's a lot of it for us as well. And as I prayed toward uh, this series and especially beginning tonight, I was just really thinking about the, like this group of believers and the word pure kept coming back to mind. That there was a purity that existed. Um, and, and I couldn't get away from that, from that concept. And I think it's because in this, this time in church history, right at the very beginning uh, when the, the church was born, um, there was a purity in, in terms of uh, there's a lot of stuff that gets in our way today that just didn't get in their way back then. Um, a lot of, a lot of uh, well, I wrote them down. How about I read you my list? Um, they didn't have any buildings. Think about that. They didn't have church buildings. Right now, I mean, when people say, where do you go to church? Or, are you going to church? Or, hey, you're going to run by the church. Oh, I left my coat at church. Church and building are kind of synonymous for us. Um, and so that's why a lot of people don't understand our church because we don't own our own building. And so they're like, so how can you be a real church? You know, I've heard that for years. How can you be a real church and not have a building, you know? I don't, we just can't. I, mean, I don't really have a better explanation. Uh, we just don't have a building, yet we are a church. It's a miracle. Um, but they didn't have any buildings. And buildings can be a massive blessing. And I really, really hope we get one. More about that in a few weeks. However, not that I have one for us, but we're going to be, that's what 30 days is going to be about. We're going to do a lot of asking. Okay. Spoiler. Okay. Um <coughs> <coughs> However, buildings take up about 40% or more of a church's budget. Now, that's awesome if a building is being used to make disciples and all that kind of stuff. It's not awesome if a building is just a massive liability. You know, Back then, they didn't have buildings to worry about. Um, back then, they didn't have a budget to mess with. We have a budget. We do that to keep us out of jail. <laughs> They didn't have a budget, 
They weren't worried about, oh, we're coming up short this month, and oh, we don't want to be able to do this, and they didn't have a budget. They didn't have a, a logo or a website or branding or anything, any of that kind of stuff. No billboards, no, no none of that kind of stuff. And all those things are fine and good, and we have those things, and that's great. But they didn't have any of that stuff to distract them. They didn't have denominations to argue about stuff that doesn't really matter. They didn't have you know, Methodists and Presbyterians and Baptists and Catholics and all the things that tend to just like divide us up within the church. That wasn't around. They didn't have mega churches. They didn't have micro churches. They didn't have all the you know, in-between. There just wasn't a thing. There weren't celebrity pastors. There weren't um, uh, celebrity pastors who have a moral failure and it's like front page news or whatever. It wasn't. Uh, those things weren't there. They didn't have the baggage that comes with churches hurting people and um, the struggles that a lot of, especially Americans, have with um, the, the amount of hurt that Christians and the church has brought into not only our country but worldwide. Um, they didn't have the American dream to distract them. They just didn't have all this stuff. There was a purity that existed. That's what I kept coming back to. There was just this simplicity. And a friend of mine who's a pastor, he said one time, he said, man, he said, the New Testament church, he said, you realize that all they had was Jesus and each other? That's it. That's all they had. And yet, no other time in the history of the church has it flourished more. And more people in such a short amount of time, come to know the Lord, and as the gospel spread like wildfire, and in the midst of deep and violent persecution, the church just continued and continued and continued. All they had was Jesus and each other. Now, today we obviously have stuff, and I don't think all those things are bad. I think all those things have a place in the kingdom, and they have a place in the church in 2015, and they have a place in our church. Um, however, uh, there's a lot of things just in church life that can be distracting us from Jesus and one another. And then when you, you add in stuff from life and family and work and all these other kinds of things, we can live in a very distraction-filled world. And um, I think there's something we can learn here. So we're going to go, uh, we're going to kind of hop around a little bit in the next couple of weeks and see what God has to say to us about this purity that existed while we're praying for 30 days and while our groups start back in a couple of weeks and while we get back into some normalcy that maybe corporately we're able to hit a reset button a little bit. So let's look in Acts chapter 1. Just a, just a hint of background before I get started. Acts was written by Luke, who uh, you may know from the book of Luke. Um, there you go. Um, it's kind of a, a two-part work that he wrote. There's the Gospel according to Luke, which is really about Jesus. And then there, uh, there's the book of Acts, which is, uh, could, can be, could be considered Acts of the Holy Spirit, Acts of the New Testament Church, you know, whatever. So... Um, 
but it's one thing that he wrote in two sections. And he, uh, he was a, a physician, but he did his research. Like he compiled through eyewitness testimony all that we have in those two books. So really, they kind of belong together. And they can be read as one going into the other. And so you see in the first verse, um, he refers to his, the first book, which would be the Gospel of Luke. Um, and then O Theophilus, there's some debate as to if this is a person or just a general term or whatever. We just won't get hung up on that. All right, let's read it. Uh, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. All right, so... This is, I mean, there's so much. We could be here for weeks talking about this. I want us to zero in on uh, verse 8, which is kind of of a big deal, kind of a a famous verse. It's in the midst of this, of some pretty incredible stuff that's going on. Um, So he's been with, with the apostles. He's been with them for 40 days after the resurrection. He's been teaching. He's been preaching the kingdom of God. He's not been wasting any time. But he's been getting them ready for something. And we see this in, in, all the, uh, in the, the other Gospels as well. He's been preparing them for the promise of the Father, the promise of the, the Spirit of God to come upon them, to, to baptize them, to be clothed with this Spirit. Um, and he's explained to them, he's like, I have to leave so that he can come. And they probably don't really know what's going on. And that's why they're like, um... So is this when you're, when you're going to make us a kingdom again and we're going to rule the world? You know? And he's like, no. They still, don't, they still don't get it. I mean, they watched him die, raised from the dead, and they still don't understand that there's more going on here than some sort of political agenda. Um, and so Jesus, you know, he doesn't smash them over the head or whatever. He just redirects them. He's like, this, it's not for you to know. All right? You're asking the wrong question. It's not for you to know. So he makes them essentially a promise of a progression of events that's going to happen. You look at verse 8. It says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
what we see through the book of Acts is basically this one verse being, we see a narrative story that's told of how this like, happens in real life and what it looks like. The whole rest of the book is, is broken down right there for us. And the events are the, goes like this. You get power, when, like the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you are empowered, and then you're my witnesses in this city, and then you go out from there, and then you're going to cover the whole, the whole entire earth. So when, in looking at the purity of the New Testament church, I think that it's fair to look at this promise, what Jesus is saying, and to think of, of and, and I haven't, I'm, I'm, I sometimes hesitate to make like, these big absolute statements or whatever because I haven't thought through them, and in like five years maybe I'll change my mind. So just dial it back a little bit from how dramatic I'm about to be. Um, but the... The church seems to be, based on what Jesus is saying here, um, like a coin. If church life is a coin, there's two sides of it. One side is power. The second side is mission. One side is power. The second side is mission. So those are the, the two points for tonight. Jesus says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses everywhere. So if, if, that's, if that's true, if church life, if these are the two sides of the church coin, then perhaps it's worth us pondering a little bit as to what that means. So let's look at them one at a time. Let's, let's look at power. And let's just leave verse 8. We're just leave that up on the screen for a while. Okay? Um, you will receive power... That word power, and if you're taking notes, first bullet point, just write power. Okay. Uh, the word power is the same word that's used all throughout the Gospels to talk about um, what was going on when Jesus performed miracles. It's the same word. So, Jesus comes along and he heals someone with leprosy. That's the word power. Jesus comes along, he, um, someone that's blind, he spits on the ground, makes some mud, puts some mud on the eyes, washes his eyes off, and you can see. That's the same word there. So this is not like, oh, you're going to have a boost of energy coming up. Or no, I think you're going to feel a little stronger here. Jesus is saying that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the power that will be living inside of you is the same like miracle-working power that you saw in Jesus. And he's, talking to, he's talking to literal eyewitnesses. And so if they kind of flash back, you know, they, they followed him around and imitated him for th- like three years or so. So all the things they saw him do, and they're like, why can't I do that? Why can't I do that? Why can't I do that? Jesus is telling them, Pretty soon, you're going to be able to do that because that same power is going to come upon you. So the Holy Spirit's power, when Jesus is doing those miracles, the Spirit of God is the, is the one that's powerfully making that happen. So the Holy Spirit, um, when, when God was creating the world, the Father dreams it up, Jesus is the one who like makes it happen. Like he's the creative one who like actually like gets it done, and the the Holy Spirit is the one empowering empowering that and sustaining the presence of God in creation. 
in salvation. The Father is the mastermind of the plan of salvation. Jesus is the one who carries out the plan. The Holy Spirit is the one that applies what Jesus did to you and to me as a Christian. Jesus is working miracles. It's the Holy Spirit's power that's getting it done. The New New Testament church, uh, we'll see as the book plays out, there are all these signs and wonders that are happening, and they're doing some of these miracles, and these things are happening that should not be happening because the Spirit's work is, is there and tangible among them. And the same thing for you and for me in church life. That that same power is for you and for me. It's kind of amazing to, to think about it in those terms. So we believe that the, God, that the Bible teaches God is three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They are all fully God. They are all equal. But they have distinct roles that they play. So Jesus comes to the earth, and we just celebrated his, his, his advent, you know. And he was, the promise was made, and they longed for that and prayed for that. And finally, he had, he had come to the earth, and um, he lives his life. And now toward the end of this, when it's time for him to go back to heaven, he starts talking about something to come, something to come. And the thing that was happening is really the advent of the Holy Spirit into the lives of the faithful. That's what happens at Pentecost. Jesus, who is, um, is one man, limited by time and space because he entered humanity, he goes up to heaven, now the Holy Spirit comes, who is not limited by time and space. So God's presence on the earth now shows up uniquely in every single believer that the indwelling Spirit of God is the same power that sustains His presence in creation and the same power that applies the blood of Christ to your life, the same power that works miracles, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, and you're sitting in a pew and it's living inside of you. That's what the Bible says. That you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That at one point in time, you know, there was the, the temple in Jerusalem, and they it had it was beautiful and ornate and huge, and they had in the in the this one particular place it was the Holy of Holies, and had the big curtain, and uh, it's where the presence of God was dwelling, and the the priest had to be completely sinless and pure. He had to do all the ritual stuff before he could go in, and um, he would go into this this room, the Holy of Holies, and um, they would tie a rope around his ankle because if he went in and he and there was impurity there he would drop dead and they needed to be able to like drag the brother out you know and when Jesus dies you might be familiar with this part of the story what happens to the veil to the to the curtain that's separating that holy of holies from everything else what happened to it it was ripped it no longer was the presence of god uh, to be understood as being limited into this one place. Coming up in the next chapter, the Holy Spirit shows up and like, it like literally shows up. It's just, it's, it's going to be awesome. You need to come back. Um, and so that's what's going on. So Jesus makes this promise, and, he's, and, and just to boil it all down, he's like, look, God's about to come live inside you, so get ready. Because when God dwells within someone, that's not a weak situation. When God dwells somewhere, 
There's some serious power. And so you're about to receive power when that happens. One of the things about this power, though, because you might be sitting here being like, man, that sounds really great, but I don't, I don't feel very powerful. You know, I've been trying to stop doing stuff for a long time. Or I've been trying to start doing other stuff for a long time. So if the, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and applies salvation to people and uh, heals people with leprosy and, and does all these kind of things, if that same power lives in me, then, then how come my life doesn't look a whole lot different? I understand you if you're a little bit like confused or frustrated by that, trying to th- you know thinking that that's real. And some of you are, might be super encouraged by this, and I hope that you are. The thing about about the indwelling power of God is that, generally speaking, like the most of the time, it's not this overriding power. You know, it's not overriding of like your your will and your choices and your actions and all that kind of stuff. So he's not going to like take over take over your body and you're going to be, like become some other kind of person or something. It's not forcible like that. It's not it's not that kind of power. Now the, there are certainly times and we'll see it in the book of Acts. There are times I think when there when there is some overriding that happens, but it's it's very very few like very just unique cases. So it's, it's not overriding power, it's, it's cooperative power. It's, it's infusing your efforts with that power. So it's, it works in, in tandem. It's, it's, a, it's a partnership, it's a dance, it's, it's a relationship, you know. So that's how you can sit here with literally God living inside of you and not really feel it. That's how. Because it's, it's voluntary. It's, it's the effort that you make. And it shows up in very simple ways. So you open up your Bible. And let's say you're, you're sitting at home. It's just you and the Bible. And you, you ask the Lord to help you understand what you're about to read. And you read it. And you understand it. And you close the Bible. Well, that's raised Jesus from the dead power that just helped you understand the scriptures. It's not always big and flashy, and it's not always the day of Pentecost, which we'll see later on. It's not always this big, uh, crazy, loud thing. A lot of times it's just really simple. You're trying to walk by faith through something, and you're, will you help me to walk by faith? You're praying, you're. Asking Lord to give you the give you the confidence to pray that prayer. You're headed into a difficult conversation. You're like, Lord, just help help me have the words. You're trying to make a decision about something crucial in your life. You're like, Lord, I, not my will, but your will be done. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is also the power that empowered him as he was off praying by himself early in the mornings. Sometimes it's big and, I mean, it's just tangible and it's just these miracles and it's just this obvious thing. And other times, he's just sustaining you through your day. One's not greater than the other. It's all pretty miraculous that the Holy One would choose to dwell in 
like literally inside of his children, and empower our efforts. So Jesus himself, he had to do stuff. The Holy Spirit didn't override uh, his choices. As he's out doing ministry, he had to submit. He had to ask for help. He had to, he had to like, put forth the effort. Can you imagine when, when like, he, like he, the story I referenced a minute ago, when Jesus spits on the ground and makes some mud and rubs it on the guy's eyes? He probably felt like a crazy person. I mean, think about that. But at some point, the Spirit whispered to him, make some mud, rub it on the guy's eyes. So he had to make the effort. You know, the Spirit didn't like overtake his body and like he was like a robot. That was doing, no, no, he had to do that. Everything that Jesus did was empowered by the Spirit. Everything that you and I do is empowered by the Spirit. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So when does that happen? It happens when you place your faith in what Christ has done as your Savior and your Lord. That's when it happens. It happens in fullness. You know, you don't get like 30%, you know, and they're like, well, one day you'll be ready for more. You know, it's, not, it's not how it works. And we're going to get to the point of Pentecost where they're speaking in tongues, and we'll cover that. You know, and that it's not as not as big of a divisive issue in this in current generations as it you know, has been in some previous ones. But let me just go ahead and tell you, there isn't like this like second blessing that comes where you get the other half of the Holy Spirit or anything else like that. That when you become a Christian, the Spirit of God dwells inside of you in fullness. You don't always know how to access that. You don't always know what that looks like. That's a part of discipleship and a part of learning. Um, so when Jesus makes this promise to his apostles, we, we are, are part of that. There are some things that were just for them because they were the, literally the eyewitnesses. And there's a lot of it for us as well. There is a song that has that that lyric that says, The same power that conquered the grave lives in me. And maybe maybe that is something for you to write down and ponder in the the days and weeks ahead. Maybe it would behoove us to to sit on this verse for a while and just be like, Whoa, if if this is if this is real, if I really believe this is real, then how does that impact how I live, how I pray, how I interact with people, everything. So that's the first point, power. First side of the coin. The other side of the coin, um, uh, I'm going to use the word mission. You'll see in the verse, um, power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses. And uh, if you grew up in a Southern Baptist church in... uh, the last probably 20 or 30 years, if you've been a part of that, witnessing has certain connotations. You know, Witnessing is typically evangelism, sharing your faith. Um, at our church growing up, there were a couple of, couple of times where we were like, all right, we're all going to meet at the church on Saturday, and we're going to go witnessing. You know? um, and I, I, I didn't know what that meant. I just went because that's what you did. And uh, they put us on, in teams, and we went into neighborhoods, and we just knocked on doors and shared the gospel with people. And um, as a seventh grader, that scared me to death. Like I was really like, this is the most terrifying thing of all time. If that's what, if that's what Christianity is about, then I got some growing up to do. Uh, and um, so that's why I want to use the word mission because I think it's it's a 
I want to get away from that connotation, but I also think it's a more accurate word when you look at um, some of the other things that are, that are going on here and some of the things that Jesus is saying. Um, the word witness that he uses here in this verse can be used in, in, in two ways. One um, is uh, like literally an eyewitness, someone who actually saw something. Um, so being a, like, you'll be my witnesses, and he's talking to the apostles there, so like, you're the ones who saw me die and raise, uh, uh, you know, be raised from the grave, and you um, are the ones who are going to watch me go up in the sky, all that kind of stuff. So um, you'll be my witnesses in that sense, it was kind of just for them. The other sense that the word witness is used is, is very simple, and that, this is where we all come in. Um, it's used for someone who has a testimony about something. You just have a, you have something that you can uh, attest to. You have an experience. You have something that you believe that you are an advocate for. Uh, and that's another way that this term was used um, back then. So to be a witness for someone is to be an advocate for someone based on your personal experience of what you have. So for Jesus to say. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you're going to be my you're going to be my advocates. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be those who give testimony about who I am. Um, you're going to be sent into all of the world to communicate the truth about who I am. That's what that's what he's saying, and so that's why I want to use the word mission uh, for the other side of the coin because there's an empowerment that happens but not just so we can live awesome lives. There's an empowerment that, that is directly tied to, which is why I use a coin, uh, it's directly tied to the fact that we have a purpose. You know, we talked during Advent about, uh, you know, Jesus has come the first time, and then he's going to come a, a second time, and so we're in between these arrivals of Christ. So how in the world are we supposed to live in the meantime? We talked about um, longing for his second return, we talked about the expectations that are there for all things to be made new. We, we talked about just begging him, you know, come Lord Jesus, how long, O oh Lord, you know, those kinds of ideas. But that's not the, the only thing that we're supposed to do in between his first arrival and his second arrival. He didn't say, all you need to do is just sit around and beg me to show up again. In fact, he didn't really say that. Uh, hardly at all. That's, that's more like our, our own conclusion. What he did say is, you, are, you now have a mission until I return. And so there's a few places that, that we see this mission. One uh, is in, at the end of Matthew, and you don't need to turn to it. We'll, just, we'll throw it up on the screen. In Matthew 28, um, we have what's, what is you know, known affectionately as the Great Commission. Um, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So that, this like make disciples and uh, you will be my witnesses. Those are in the, in the same line of thinking. I know there are distinctions there. Um, Jesus said a lot of things. But these are in the same camp of ideas. Okay? We're making disciples of all nations which is the Judea-Samaria to the ends of the earth. That's the same thing. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so that is, uh, we celebrated baptism last week. That's 
People identifying publicly with Christ as their Savior and Lord. Uh, that is essentially like people like converting to Christianity and saying, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. I'm no longer my Lord or my Savior. Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. So there's a, a baptism that happens, but then we kind of forget about the next part sometimes. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So when someone becomes a Christian, you enter into this process where now you're learning to basically be just like Jesus. So you have these eyewitnesses who live life with him for you know a couple of years. And uh, Jesus was going to send his, like the power of the Spirit upon them and send them on this mission to be his witnesses and to make disciples of, of other people. To, um, to teach them everything that Jesus, uh, to teach other people everything that Jesus had taught them. To duplicate in the lives of others what Christ had done in their lives. And he says, and, uh, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That the presence of God goes with them. So that's one place we see mission. Another one, uh, you don't have to turn to this one either. Um, but at the end of the Gospel of Luke, which is, comes right before Acts 1, uh, when Jesus is talking about this idea of witnessing and being his witnesses, this is what he says. This is uh, 44 through 49 in chapter 24. Um, he spoke to them said, uh, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, okay? So they couldn't understand them apart from, like, divine intervention, as I was saying earlier. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Does that, does that sound familiar? That's pretty much what he's saying in Acts chapter 1. You'll be my witnesses. You will... You will, you will make disciples. You will teach them all the things that I have taught you. That, um, that, that Christ had would suffered, risen on the third day. That repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Um, you are witnesses of these things. He says, you've seen this. So now, you, so now you, you go and you will be my witnesses everywhere. That that's the mission and I was trying to think of, I go, how do I, how do I summarize this? And in, in the moment, in this, like, tonight, for me, the mission of the church is we're, we are disciples who make other disciples everywhere we go through our empowered witness. So you are a disciple, so you're, you're learning Right? Hopefully. I'm learning. Most of the time. We're learning to be like Christ. We're, we're on the receiving end of that discipleship. We are the apprentice. We are um, we're the rookie. We're the ones who are learning. So you are a disciple, and then you make other disciples. And sometimes, you know, we've talked about this before. Sometimes that's one-on-one. Sometimes it's in a group. Sometimes it's with words, sometimes it's with actions. That everywhere you go, your witness, 
your testimony, your advocacy of who Jesus is, is being empowered. And I, I can't get away from this, this thought that, that everywhere I go, I'm, I'm making a disciple out of everyone who's around me. And a lot of me wants to push away from that. You know? Like, no, no, I'm making disciples when I'm like clocked in, it's time for disciple making. But that's not really the case. In Matthew 28, when you get into the original language stuff, a lot, of, a lot of people would say, instead of it saying, like, go make disciples, it says, as you go, make disciples. You'll be my witnesses as you live your lives. So, so the way I conduct myself is bearing witness about who Jesus is. The way I speak to someone the way I react to things, the way I interact with people or whatever, the way I celebrate, the way I grieve, the way I make decisions, um, the way I apologize, the way I, I mean, fill in the blank, all of it. In my life, according to what is being communicated here, I'm telling people things about Jesus all the time. I'm a disciple who's making other disciples everywhere I go because my witness is empowered by the Spirit of God. This is Jesus' plan for getting the gospel around the whole planet. Of all the ways that it could have happened, he's like, this is, this is the one right here. This is what I want to happen. I want a bunch of messed up people to take the best news that's ever hit the planet. And as you learn and work through it and the ups and downs and all that kind of stuff, I just want you to live your lives. And I want you to realize that I, I'm doing something huge among you. I've begun something beautiful in you. And I always finish when I start. And I probably won't go as fast as you want me to, but I won't go as slow either. And you can fight me and fight me and fight me. And, or we can cooperate. Get it all done just in the right pace, the right time. I would imagine that uh, his apostles were probably a little bit stunned as they probably sat around later on. Once they got past the fact that Jesus just like hopped on a cloud and took off, you know, uh, they were probably sitting around later and be like, man, so how in the world are we going to pull off being witnesses? How in the world are we going to, as we go, Teach people what Jesus taught us. How in the world is that even possible? Maybe someone was like, wait, what was the first part? The power of the Spirit. Oh, yeah, that. Because when I think about it, like if, if I think about one side of the coin without the other, it gets really weird. If I think about being his witness everywhere I go, that everything I do says something about who Jesus is, and the pressure just builds. And I start to go through all the times I've messed things up. 
And all the times I've misrepresented him and it failed and all this kind of stuff. And it just, I kind of want to just like cut that verse out, you know. But that's when I'm forgetting the fact that he promises us an empowerment. That the Spirit can raise a dead body. The Spirit can smooth over the times we've messed things up. The Spirit can help us to be humble and apologize. The Spirit can help us overcome our sin patterns that we struggle with. That surely, if the Spirit of God can do the things that we've seen Him do in the Scriptures, He can deal with these little things that seem huge to us, but really to Him. As much as we want Him to just override, just take over, just, I don't want to, just, you just do it, I don't want to do anything. He's like, no, that's not really how it works. You take steps of faith, I give you the power to take them. So life for a church, for our church, for any church, in order to return, maybe in a sense, to that purity, I think comes down to sometimes for us to realize the simplicity of what Jesus is saying, but yet the depths that are there as well. Because when, when we're on mission together and we're living a life of a, that is abiding in Christ and He's empowering our efforts, when that's the rhythm that we're living in, a church building and a budget and denominational stuff and all, all those things, kind of they take their proper place. Because we're focused on what we're supposed to be focused on. I'm really hoping that in the next couple of weeks, for me personally, that I'm, I'm, I get back in sync in the ways that I've kind of drifted off. The first time we ever did 30 days of prayer, uh, this is like, we're just, like, just going to read the book of Acts and we're going to pray. And I found a notebook, the notebook that I wrote stuff in going through uh, back then as a 23-year-old. And... Uh, my handwriting was better then, but uh, my sentence structure was not. There's a couple of things in there that I'm looking at that were almost like prophetic that we talked about in these meetings and stuff. I really think God wants to do something. So perhaps, perhaps it's worth our time to pray in these directions, um, maybe this week, to think about power, to think about the, the cooperative beauty that is, that is ours for the taking and the fact that the Spirit of God dwells in us and the purity of a mission of, of being like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a disciple who makes disciples everywhere I go and to let him empower those things and reshape things. You want to talk about make a difference in life and in your families and in our community groups and in our church and in our city? Um, I don't know, it excites me. So, there it is. Um, that's all I got to say. Let me pray for us. I'll tell you what, let's stand up.
Lord, certainly in a room this size, it probably um, probably lands in different places for all of us. And um, you're the only one who can who can speak to each of us exactly where we are, and you do so uh, precisely and perfectly. And so whether, um, whether it's a matter of power or mission, or perhaps both, just ask that you would help us um, to get to the place where, where we want to be, of course, the place that you envision when you said this, that your picture of how your bride would take the good news to the ends of the earth would be realized, um, that you would use our, uh, that you would use us as a group of uh, imperfect people, um, but people that you love very deeply and that you believe in, uh, that you would help us. And even as we sing these two simple songs as we close, um, we can't even worship you without your help. And so um, pray that you would empower our efforts to sing and mean it, uh, to pray and to have the faith uh, to know that uh, you can and will hear those prayers and respond.